welcome to Best Book Forward, the podcast where I talk to authors, publishers and book lovers alike about the books that have shaped their lives. Think of it as like Desert Island Discs, but the bookish version. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Kane, author of The Madonna of Bolton, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle and Becoming Ted. Matt's latest novel, One Love, comes out on the 18th of January and it is such a beautiful, raw and emotional read. I can't wait to talk to Matt more about it. We'll also, of course, talk about the five books that have shaped Matt's life. Matt, welcome and thank you so much for joining me on Best Book Forward today. Helen, thank you for having me. It's such a delight to meet you finally after all our contact on social media. It's so funny, isn't it? We've been wanting to do this for ages. And when I started talking about the podcast, I was like, I just really want you to be one of my guests. So thank you so much. It's very oh, well, exciting. Thank you. And it does feel like, even though it's taken us a while, it does feel like this is the right moment. It does. Do you know, it's funny because I was like, oh, I wish we were talking about, because I think the first time we started talking about it was about Albert and then it was becoming Ted. But actually, I feel like we found the right moment. So... We have. Well, also, I'm right at the beginning of my promotional period for One Love. So um, I'm still really excited and interested to hear what people have got to say about it. Um, Not just readers, although I love reader responses, but kind of expert readers, people who read a lot and analyse books like yourself. It's fascinating and useful, very helpful for me to hear people's responses so yeah it's great to be here that's very exciting so we're recording this in November and obviously One Love comes out on the 18th of January so do you want to start off by telling everyone what your beautiful new novel is all about yes it is called One Love it's about two friends called Danny and Guy they meet at Manchester University in 2002 They're both gay and their time at university is very much a time of self-discovery, exploring their sexuality together when they're away from home. And what happens 20 years later is that they decide to go back to Manchester to celebrate their 20th anniversary as friends for Manchester Pride which is a four-day festival over the bank holiday weekend at the end of August. So they off they go to Manchester, but what one of them doesn't know, what Guy doesn't know, is that Danny, for the entire 20 years, has been madly in love with him. And hiding it, and there have been missed chances and all this. And basically what happens is, as they go back to Manchester, um, it comes to a head and everything shakes down and unravels, but in ways that neither of them could have expected. And also, there are plenty of prompts for them to look back over the 20 years of their relationship, shall we call it. And um, I really enjoyed I've never done dual timeline before. I've often done flashbacks, but I've never done dual timeline. And it was great to do that. And also, it's not chronological, the um, past tense timeline. So um, I'm not wholly chronological, should I say. And, yeah, it's my... um, It's the book I'm probably the most proud of, of all the books that I've written. So how did that sum it up in your experience? Did I nail it? I've not quite got the patter because this is one of my first interviews. 
Well, we were just talking about this before we started recording of how it is a book that you could very easily spoil because uh, it is a journey. And as you say, there are there are moments in their lives that they discover together. It is a book that you say you know, it's your, one that you're most proud of. When I read it, I felt like I could feel the love that you've put into these two characters. It's just, I mean, I was messaging you throughout reading it, wasn't I? I kept on doing voice <laughs> notes to you. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think I've done with many authors of like, you know, I'm 50 pages in and I've just got to share my thoughts with you. <laughs> so. Should I tell you what, Helen? It's really funny because um, just when you said that about voice notes, I'm really lucky. People, I think because my books have a lot of heart, they don't tend to be criticised much. If somebody doesn't like them, they just keep quiet. And those who do like them are, Often, um, because they mean well and they've got all this heart, people express their positive responses. With this book, it's so weird. Um, I've literally had book retailers, bloggers, journalists sending me voice notes in tears Mm. telling me how much they loved it. And it's great for me. It's great. Because this is another one that I had to fight for. It's so weird. You know, I'll, obviously you know the story of the Madonna of Bolton, the first book that I wrote, that um, I had to battle through 10 years of rejection to get published, and I ended up crowdfunding it and breaking the record for the fastest crowdfunded novel with Unbound, and it went on to do really well, and that was great, and that was loosely autobiographical. This one... I started writing after the Madonna of Bolton had come out and done well. And um, I really believed in it. And I had other ideas and publishers. It's not that this one was rejected, but publishers kept saying to me, oh, um, that idea you've got, Albert Entrecell, is more commercial. And that idea, Becoming Ted, um, which wasn't the original title, actually, that, that idea for what would become Becoming Ted is um, more now because it's got drag in it. Mm -hmm. And um, what that did was it meant that I actually spent four and a half years on this book, stepping back from it, going back to it. And it, much as I was frustrated, I actually think that worked out for the best because it meant um, I could keep coming back to it with fresh eyes and improving it. And um, now that it's coming out and those other books have built up my readership, I'm hoping this one really punches through. That's really interesting you say that. I mean, it, there is a very different feel to it from your other books, from like um, Albert and Ted and Madonna of Bolton as well. This one feels really raw and emotional. Obviously, it's mixed with like the sort of, you know, fun and humour as well. Well, it's interesting for me that you say that because I think it's the most, I think it's most similar to the Madonna of Bolton of any books that I've written. Um, The other two were a bit lighter and that one had, um, it starts off the Madonna of Bolton. If anybody's not read that, it's the story of a working class boy in the north of England growing up in the 80s, has a hard time being gay, latches onto Madonna, the pop icon, as a kind of spirit guide to get him through a difficult time. And then as he's older, he has to let go of his spirit guide in order to find his own voice as a creative. And actually, that book has got edge and grit, but it starts off, because it's about a young boy, 
and there's all the nostalgia, it feels very light and fluffy. And I was quite pleased about that because it meant that I could lure in the reader before I hit them over the head with scenes in sex clubs and saunas and um, <laughs> um, sexual health clinics. And um, But actually, I think there is an edge to that one. And this is... Um, probably the closest to it. And actually, I was thinking about this the other day because I've got to do a talk at the Cambridge Union um, the week after next. And I was thinking about through lines through my books. And I think if you look at um, Charlie in, Madonna, in The Madonna of Bolton, you look at Danny in this and you look at Ted in Becoming Ted, that is about a man in his 40s, dumped by his husband, devastated. He decides he's going to turn his life around. Now's the time to put what he wants first. He's going to become a drag queen. That's his long-suppressed dream. And along the way, he kind of discovers himself. So actually, if you look at those three characters, Charlie, Ted and Danny in One Love, they each feel they're not good enough. And they need some, they look outside themselves for something to make them feel better. Charlie looks at Madonna and he thinks, she can make me better, she can fix me. Ted looks at drag, he thinks, I'm boring, I'm dull, I'm not interesting or special enough. When I go on stage as my drag queen alter ego, that's different. But actually, he realises... As, as Danny, so Danny in this book, he looks outside himself to Guy. He thinks Guy is everything I'm not. I'm not attractive. I'm common and working class. Guy's classy and gorgeous. and He's got an amazing body and everybody fancies him. And um, if he could just fall in love with me, everything would be all right. I'd be better. I'd be good enough. And what all three of them realise is that actually deep down they were good enough in the first place. They didn't need anything outside them. Um, it was always there inside them all along. So, yes, they are very different in some ways, but there is this similarity, I think. Mm. And it's probably something that's very relatable to everyone, isn't it? We all have those moments of insecurity and sort of, you know, wondering what we could do or change in our lives that would make us feel better or do better. So I think, um, yeah, but they're all, all of them are just so, I, they're so believable and I feel for them all. I know when I started reading Becoming Ted in the first few pages, I was like, oh, Ted. And I was like, you, you just do such a brilliant job of making your characters so believable and just making your reader care for them, which I think is so special. And actually oh. with Albert, I still, because Albert was the first book of yours I read and I still think I about him. Like he still pops Should into I my head. Should I tell you what, Helen, that's, that's lovely to hear. And thank you very much for that. Um, I think, um, I mean, nobody can rate how good they are as a writer, but if anybody were to say to me, what's the one thing you know you can nail? And with me, it is that feeling of not being good enough and um, just feeling like, you know, low self-esteem. And in my case, it, and in the case of most of my characters, it comes from growing up gay in a world that told us it was wrong. Whether or not we were bullied for it, we absorbed the message from the media um, that we weren't good enough, we were defective. You know, um, we were dangerous, deviants, perverts, all that. And that actually really affects the way you think about yourself and the way you treat yourself. And um, I think, 
lots of people feel that for lots of different reasons, whether they are, I mean, people are bullied at school for all kinds of things. You know, um, women who are sexually expressive or people who are neurodiverse or people who are overweight or you're just a new kid and you don't fit in because nobody knows you. I mean, so many um, things make people feel not good enough. And actually, most of my characters don't just have the gay thing. They often have other things that feed in. So Ted, um, without wanting to give too much away and becoming Ted, he... um, knows he wasn't planned as a child and he's also expected to take over the family business which he doesn't want to do because um he's not remotely interested in it and Danny for example is common he's got a strong northern accent he's from a poor background and that also feeds in but um that's I think you know it can be a universal because people feel that for all different kinds of reasons. But that's, I think, much as the experiences that I went through that made me be able to feel that and channel it into my writing were very painful to go through. I can see that if they hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have anything to write about. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that now because I'm like, oh, a world without your books would be terrible. But obviously, I don't want to say, I'm glad you suffered for my enjoyment. (laughs) That's awful. I know. Yeah, but these things do happen for a reason, don't Mm. they? I do. I believe yeah. that. Yeah. And I think and it, it's so brilliant that you share your experiences because there will be people who are still going through that now who will be able to sort of draw comfort from it and, you know, find their confidence and self-esteem as well. So I think it's uh, it's brilliant that you share your stories the way you do. Thank you. That's that's actually I really want um, sometimes when books are described as uplifting, they sound to be kind of lightweight. And I actually want my books to make readers feel uplifted, but in a quite profound way. I want it to make them make life decisions or changes that will allow them to be their best possible self. And, you know, it's all about self-realisation, self-actualisation. And um, my books can play a small part in somebody's journey towards that, then I'm really proud of that, yeah. You should be, I think, yeah. And I was just thinking, the one thing that popped into my head then was in Becoming Ted. I can't remember, I wish I had the line near me now to write, but I remember I used the quote in my review and it's like, um, what does he say? It's like, if for uh, for one day I'm going to allow myself um, to be myself. There's a brilliant line where he just comes out because he has a great choreographer, the dance teacher. Oh yeah, she was one of the last um, characters uh, really? I did. Yeah, so it was really funny, that one. So um, with Albert Entwistle and, and One Love, I started writing them out of contract. Um, as I said about Madonna, I submitted it, didn't get a deal, so I crowdfunded it. With um, Albert Entwistle, I started writing it and then submitted it and got a deal. And they gave me a deal for another book, which was Ted. And actually, what's brilliant with when you write under contract is what you don't do is write the whole thing down to the eighth draft and then find out that the editor wants a radical change that means a huge restructuring. And, um, you know, it's really difficult to unpick and rework. What actually happens, well, what the way I work is I plan everything. So I sent a scene-by-scene synopsis to my editor for... Um, Ted and 
to not give anything away, there are a series of letters that arrive um, for Ted at his work, anonymous letters making certain claims. And what my editor said was, um, you need to spread the suspicion onto people. Um, you need more women who it could be sending those letters. And therefore... Shelley Topper, as she called her, I can't even remember because she was the last. <laughs> Shelley Topper, I think, who's the dance teacher. And um, Marina, who is Oscar's friend who lives in the next door caravan, were two of the last characters that I wove in. Actually, Marina, funnily enough, I need to find out what this dance teacher's called. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's called Shelley Topper. But can I just say, Helen, I'm telling you all this very honestly, because I'm in the middle of writing another book. And in order to do it, you have to just completely immerse yourself mm. in the new fictional world. And I've said no to everything else until I've finished this first draft at Christmas. But I didn't want to say no to you because you've been Aww. brilliant and so supportive. Um, Shelley Topper, I've just looked it up in my Word documents. <laughs> That's so funny because she feels like she was always there. I'm really surprised. I think if I'd read that, I would never have guessed that she wasn't always in the plan because she's... Well, interesting you should say that. A very good editor um, won't shoehorn things in. And they'll make suggestions that you can respond to with things that probably should have been in there anyway in the first mm. place, if you see what I mean. Yeah. It wasn't me thinking, oh, how can I shove in that what's needed? She probably should have been there because I needed to show Ted um, gradually going on a journey towards self-discovery with all the different things that are in drag, singing, dancing, dressing up, and um, what he used to love about them as a child and what he'd been suppressing... And I needed to see him dancing and loving dancing. And actually, Marina with Oscar. So Oscar's a loner and cut off from everybody. Oscar is a Polish painter and decorator who Ted meets when he's getting over his husband. And they may or may not decide to have a second time around love affair. Um, second chance, should I say. Second act. Um, and... He was a loner, and I basically had one too many scenes with him on his own, thinking about things. And Marina always lived in the caravan next door, but my editor said um, his internal monologue isn't as successful as Ted's. Um, could he have a confidant? And I was really wary about that because... Um, He's meant to be cut off and shy and where his barriers are up. But um, he resists becoming friends with Marina and does gradually. So she and Shelley Topper, the dance teacher, were late additions, but they probably should have been there in the first place which yeah. is the work of a good editor, Jen Doyle at Headline, my editor. Oh. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Jen. <laughs> and thank you, obviously. Should we go back and talk about um, Guy and Danny a little bit? Yes, um, sorry, I'm digressing. Well, no, I would happily go into all of your novels and chat more about them, but um, we should give one love lots of love, shouldn't we? Um, <laughs> so I know you've talked before about the inspiration behind your characters, and I know your husband Harry is a huge inspiration. I was wondering, were Guy and Danny inspired by anyone you know? And um, also, did you find one or other of them easier to write? Oh, flipping that, Kelly, you're going straight in with the um, probing (laughs) questions. That's a very good question. Um, I think... um, I think the best, most successful characters when you put a lot of yourself into them. Danny is another version of me. Um, his, I mean, a lot of what happens in his life hasn't happened to me, but um, everything he feels has happened to me. And I probably shouldn't say this if my husband Harry is listening, but <laughs> I have been in love with my best friend. And I think in my case, it was about feeling I wasn't good enough and looking at somebody else and thinking they were so much better than me and they were so perfect. Um, but it was almost a stick to beat me with um, and to beat myself with. And, um, yeah, I think I looked at Guy and I thought, he needs to be one of those gays that those quirky, intelligent, camp, slightly different gays like me look at and think, oh, my God, they're, like, so perfect. And um, just, you know, he... Everybody thinks he's straight, so he's not camp or visibly presenting and therefore isn't bullied for it. He's drop-dead gorgeous. He's no money worries. Um, But I wanted to flip it and show that... um, Danny's the one who actually has acceptance at home from his mum. And Guy has a nightmare mum and dad, who are literally my favourite characters to write. <laughs> silly cow mum, Cynthia. And um, his dad, good Lord, she always says. You know, and actually, um, yeah, I wanted to show that those who may seem to have the perfect lives on the surface don't necessarily... Um, but I, yeah, so I went from the starting point of, from the point of view of a gay man who's suffered for who he is, what would the perfect kind of alter ego or, um, you know, the, what would perfection look like to him? What would the ideal gay man look like to him? And I came up with Guy and then started dismantling it and picking it apart. He's gorgeous guy, isn't he? So he is. hot. <laughs> he is so gorgeous. <laughs> he is so gorgeous. And then he's got these parents. I, I, that's one of the voice notes I sent to you when he comes out to his parents. I was like, he deserved so much better than that. <laughs> oh, well, shall I tell you what as well? Going back to my brilliant editor. So this was one that I, as I said to you, I started writing it before Albert and Ted when I didn't have a deal. Um... And then when my current editor took took me over, um, I sent it to her and I didn't have that coming out scene. And I think, actually, it was just because I've written so many coming out scenes now. I thought he had nothing new to say on the subject. And she said, um, no, you need the coming out scene for Guy. So that was the last scene I wrote in that book. Mm, interesting. And it is, it's really 
sort of key scene to understanding. I know, it should have been there in the beginning, shouldn't it? It should have been there. I, I think you go, it sounds like you go on journeys like your characters as well. You're saying you're adding them. That's probably why they're so authentic as well, because you put so much into them of sort of, you know, you're saying they should have been there, but it's like you're putting that extra heart in to sort of work out the story for us, which is... Uh... I literally put, I mean, without um, wanting to sound melodramatic, I put everything into books so that it, it literally gets to the end of a day like this and um i mean i'm warming up now but i said to you at the beginning i feel so spent because um at the end of a day writing i just put everything into it and i'm um a wreck mm. that's, that's so funny you say that because my next question as you were talking i was like oh i probably need to sort of re revisit this one a little bit but given that you were just saying how there are versions of you in the characters and you know with one love there are it is a heartwarming read. There are some really emotional scenes. You know, there's a lot of intimacy, both sort of sexually, but also between the two men sort of, you know, analysing their relationship together. Um, and I wondered what it was like for you to write those scenes. Like, there's really sort of, you know, guy coming out. You do use the humour as well, but how do you feel when you write those? Um, I love writing humour because as you would expect, for it to work, you've got to make yourself laugh. Mm. And um, I love writing humour. Um, when you write something difficult and painful, by the same token, for it to work, it's got to cause you pain. Mm. And, um, yeah, sometimes it does. This new book that I'm writing at the moment, I made, I'm about eight weeks into it, and I made myself cry for the first time about two weeks ago, and I thought, Yes, great. I'm on the right track. Because if you don't, it's not going to work. It's not going to do that to the reader. And also, actually, one thing I do, I mean, it's quite. it was quite useful for me, much as I had to go through 10 years of rejection before I was published, it was quite useful for me to hit my stride as a novelist a bit later in life and to have done different careers and lived in different places and have had so many failed relationships and attempts at relationships, it's unbelievable. Um, because it does actually give you the material. And that scene you're talking about with Guy, if you add personal details in, it can really kind of open up the old wounds or the feelings for you. And I've never told anybody this, but um, when I first was going to come out to my mum and dad, I sent them a letter. I was staying with some friends um, on holiday from university and I sent them a letter because I just, it, I was happy to come out to them. And, I mean, terrified and all that, but I was ready to come out to them. But um, that first initial sit down, I've got something to say and um, just kind of coming out with it, um, I just found it really difficult. So I thought, right, I'll send them a letter and I'll time it so that I get home on the morning it's arrived and then we can sit down and talk about it. And I was, you know, that was less daunting to me. But it was just before Christmas and I went home from my friend's house in Buckinghamshire, sitting on the train, thinking, this is pre-mobile phones and everything, remember, thinking I've just come out to my mum and dad and I'm going to get back and we're going to discuss it all. But I've laid out my feelings first, so I'll pick up from there. Um, I got home and walked into the house, and my mum was in the kitchen doing something and um, didn't bat an eyelid. I was like, oh, um, did you get my letter? 
said, what letter? And because of the Christmas post, it hadn't arrived. Oh. And this was, <laughs> this was a Saturday morning. I had to get up on the... So I glossed over it. And on the Monday morning, got up at like six o'clock in the morning and sat hovering by the door to intercept <laughs> this letter, which, by the way, I still have. Oh. And I've read it. And it was it was bang on that letter. I was really proud of myself because I was very young and was all over the place at the time. But um, so... Sorry, I'm rabbiting on about my experience, but with Guy, what I did was, without giving too much away, had him do exactly the same thing. Partly because I thought, how do I write a coming out scene which is different to all the others I've written and anyone that anybody else may write? And I thought, right, well, why not do what I did? Mm. And he writes a letter. And he times sending it, and it's just before Christmas, and he comes back and he's not arrived. But... He does what I didn't do. Um, he um, sits down and tells them there and then. And the only reason I didn't, actually, in fairness, was my, because my dad wasn't there and I wanted to tell them together. He was out somewhere. I don't know where he was. Um, so, yeah. So if you feed in personal details that kind of open up the memories, it becomes raw and all that's going to work, I think, anyway. Well, I agree because I know, uh, as I say, I literally put the book down and messaged you and I was like, he deserves so much more than that. It was such a brave thing to do that I was like, oh. She's such it. a bitch, his mum, isn't she? Really she really is. She is <laughs> awful, awful. <laughs> but kind of fabulous, though. Look, can I just say as well, what's interesting is the number of gay men I know at my age who have good relationships with the mums and dads but when you actually um, pick apart the initial response, um, they were rejected. I know somebody who was kicked out of his house. And um, his mum and dad are both ill. Well, his dad's actually just died. His mum and dad um, were both ill recently. And he was back there. They had such a good relationship. He was back there looking after them. Mm. And... You know, we often say, oh, yeah, I have a great relationship with my mum and dad. We, were, we went on a journey. But often that journey involves the gay man sucking up um, horrendous things that should never be said to mm. a child who is meant to be loved unconditionally, i.e. not on condition that they are straight. Mm. Um, but, yeah, um, he that's interesting for me with Guy, again, not to spoil too much, that um, he has this horrendous mum and dad, but the mum's the kind of front woman in that relationship. And um, their relationship changes later on. And they do that thing of glossing over what happened. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Danny, who was there for a lot of it, and the most uncomfortable lunch, which is possibly the, my favourite scene I've ever written. Um, he's an uncomfortable reminder of what mm. they used to be like and say, so they kind of don't like being around him and want to cut him out. Mm. Yeah, she's a really interesting character, isn't she? It's like, as you say, like, later on as well, you're like, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> bless her. Oh, well, we could talk about it. All day, because it's such a fabulous read. Um, it's out on the 18th of January. It's one that I would highly recommend. I love it. And I can totally see myself picking it up again as well and reading it again. Um, and 
if you haven't read any of Matt's other books, definitely pick them up too, because uh, he is just wonderful. And I can guarantee you're in for a real treat with all of them. Thank you, Helen. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Oh, you much. know, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm just like, I can't wait for new books. I'm like, oh, itchy fingers to get my hands on them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited because the first book of mine that you read was Albert Entwistle. I'm very excited about the little bonus book I've written for next year. I don't know if you've heard about this yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, you know, the Quick Reads Initiative, which is great, short novels, about a quarter of the length of a full length novel, and they're only a pound and they're accessible for people who wouldn't ordinarily read. The aim is to get them reading again. The initiative is run by the Reading Agency and they're giving away on World Book Night, thousands of them. Anyway, I was so lucky. They asked me to write one this year and I've set it in Toddington, the home of Albert Entwistle, and some of the characters and locations make reappearances. It's a completely different story, but some of them make reappearances and I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about it. I saw that. And it's such a brilliant idea. I always remember the beginning of lockdown back in 2020, a woman contacted me on Instagram and she was like, it sounds really silly to admit, but I've never read a book as an adult since leaving oh. school. And she, I don't know where to start. And then she was like, all she would read were like gossipy magazines. And she's like, I really want to read a book. So we, we chatted for a while and she found, and she's like, oh, I think she was like, oh, I read one book a year now. And I was like, still makes you a reader. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't totally. matter. Did you direct her to quick reads? I didn't know about them at the time. They're brilliant. I've read loads of them. I've read loads of them. I've read them by Paula Hawkins, Graham Norton, Jenny Colgan, um, Candice Carty-Williams. Yeah, they're great. And I I loved writing uh little I mean I say little it's not that short it's like a proper book but um yeah it was great and it was great to revisit the setting for Albert and some of those characters before we go on to talk about Matt's Desert Island books all of the books that we're talking about will be linked in the show notes with links to buy so don't worry about trying to scribble them down you will be able to find them all easily afterwards So, Matt, how did you find choosing your Desert Island books? Was it easy for you? No, it's not easy, actually, um, because I read so much. I literally read all the time. And you take something from all of them. There are obviously books that really make an impact, um, you know, and have a more profound effect than others. But... um, you do have to think about them. It's also ones that you go back and reread, isn't it? Mm. Um, so that's often um, a good indicator. But yeah, it's always nice to go back and um, think about the books that have shaped me as a writer, as a reader, as a person. So yeah, it's been great. Oh, well, I was so excited when I got your list because we share three books that I love too. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> two I haven't read. Um, but yeah, let's get started. Do you want to tell us about your first choice? So my first is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And this is because it's the book that really switched me on to reading. I always used to love my mum reading the stories when we were kids, but I do remember her reading this to me, my brother and sister. And 
it opened something up in me. I think, first of all, there was... I was being bullied. I was being homophobically bullied, and I needed an escape. And, you know, this book quite literally has another world, which is an escape for the characters who are children. And... I loved it. I loved all of them. I read them so many times. I still reread them every few years now. I've still got my original copy. That Well, it was my mum's. <laughs> Not sure what my brother and sister will think about the fact that I've snaffled it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've still got it. And it didn't just give me an escape. It opened up my mind to the idea of creativity providing an escape. And I think that ultimately inspired me to be a writer. Um, although it took me a long time to come to that realisation, partly because, like the character Charlie in The Madonna of Bolton and also Danny in um, One Love, I think if you're from a working-class background um, in the north of England in those days, I just didn't know anybody who made a living from their creativity or any of the creative industries. And you've no model to follow. You have to slightly invent the path for yourself. So it did take me a while. But this, I would, if I had to trace it back, this is where I'd say, I'd say it started. That's so interesting. It's so funny because it's the parallel is like, I remember my mum reading it to me as well, my brother and my sister. And um, I just loved it. And I, I will say it's the book that made me a reader for life. I, I just totally. remember it's just so magical isn't it and just I remember like when she got to the bit where Lucy goes through the wardrobe and then she's like right that's enough for tonight and I was like <gasps> and I think it was like the first time I experienced a cliffhanger in a book and just being like I want more this is such a great feeling that's hilarious your mum knew what she was doing she did <laughs> well I don't know because I was probably she... bouncing around not going to bed after that <laughs> But she knew how to get you into reading, how mm. to make you a reader. Yeah. Which is what a great gift from your mum. Where are you in the birth order, by the way? Because I'm one of three. I'm the youngest. Oh, Where I'm middle. Oh, are you? I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the annoying baby of the family. <laughs> and I was the difficult middle one. He's great, actually. Both of them are wonderful. I have wonderful siblings, so... <laughs> I have to As say that because I. I hope they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how um, we read books differently and experience them. So you, like you were saying like about the escape into Narnia, which you know, I would love to. I still, if I stay in a hotel and there's an old wardrobe, I have to put my hand into the back of the wardrobe just to see. <laughs> but for me, it was like Lucy was the character. And I, I just always really admired her. I just thought she was so brave. And I was quite, I wasn't that child at all. So I just found her a really interesting character, somebody who I wanted to be like, like go on adventures. I actually, I really empathised with um, Edmund, the one who the naughty one. feels not as good as the others. <laughs> yeah. And he goes off to cause trouble mm. to get attention and to create a space for himself. I um, I really liked him. I was going to ask you, I was like, I wondered whether you identified with any of the characters in it more than the others. Yeah, oh. Edmund all the way. Lucy, I liked Lucy and Peter. Susan, I liked. But then towards the end of the series, she she gets into boys and makeup and she stops coming to Narnia, doesn't she? Yeah, she grows up. 
<laughs> she basically grows up. Oh. Um, yeah, but it was all about Edmund. Yeah, Lucy's kind of the empathy figure, isn't she? But mm. he's offered up as the empathy figure. But with me, it was Edmund and the lure of Turkish delights. Yeah, that's so funny. But I, so when I, I don't know how old I was when I read it, but I waited until I was 30. And when we got two cats, they were both called Lucy and Mr. Tumnus. They've now gone back to Narnia, Aww. bless them. But that's how much I loved the book. I waited years to have cats called Lucy and Mr. Tumnus. And <laughs> um, talking about finding characters that you relate to, I think now I was just thinking of you as a, a little boy growing up and being bullied um which is horrendous um I don't remember any characters when I was growing up who would have been from the gay community unless I sort of read it and didn't recognize it um but I certainly can't think of anyone I think now there's more aren't there like the Heartstopper series and things and I wondered how important is it do you think for children to see themselves represented in literature and would you ever consider writing a a book for, for younger readers um, funnily enough, yeah, I do have an idea for of a series of books for younger readers, which isn't a million miles away from the idea in Narnia of finding an escape and creating it for yourself. Um, I have been toying with the idea of that for years and making notes and trying to work through it in my head. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the things I explore in One Love is... Um, you're absolutely right that when I was growing up, there weren't. There was the occasional gay man in the public eye. Usually he was a figure of fun to be ridiculed or a tragedy figure who came to a messy end. But um, there were very few who were visible, very few who you'd want to be like, very few you'd want to be like, and there were zero relationships. And this is what I'm saying about One Love. Um I explore the idea of when you've not got a template. You know, I was just saying about with my career, I had to kind of work out a path for myself. When you've not got a template to follow for what a healthy gay relationship looks like, you do have to, it's a bit of a struggle to get there. At least that's my excuse for waiting, for it taking me 40 odd years to get it right. But um, I mean, on one hand, I do think it's a great privilege of living a queer life that you are subject to less pressure and expectation because there's almost an expectation that you were going to live a bit more freely and alternatively and you're not going to follow templates. But when I was growing up, you'd look at straight relationships in films and in books and you'd take your modelling from that, but it's never going to be quite right, is it? So you're always going to end up a bit, of a mess. So I do think it's very important, absolutely important. Well, can you please? I mean, as you were talking about your idea for the night, I, I was thinking, yeah, 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 please do it, please do it. You know what? I've, I've not quite, like, I've not quite nailed it. I've sat down and reread all these books, um, not just the Narnia ones, Never Ending Story, A Stitch in Time, all those, and um, made notes. And I've just got like, absolute white noise of notes and I need to kind of sit down and um, get my head around it but yeah hopefully one day I've got too many ideas at the moment for books I want to write for adults I can't write them quick enough because I've got so many ideas oh well I'll just <laughs> keep them coming keep them coming <laughs> 
I will. Should we move on to your second choice? This is one I'd not actually heard of this one before. If we're doing it in the same order that you sent it through to me. Yes. My next choice is Kiss of the Spider Woman by Manuel Puig, who's an Argentinian writer. And I studied French and Spanish at university and we did lots of literature. And um, I really enjoyed this book. It's about two very different men sharing a prison cell in the 1970s in Argentina at the height of the dictatorship. Um, One's a political revolutionary straight. One is this camp gay window dresser. And one's in prison for political reasons. One's in prison for sexual offences. And in order to take them away from the horrors of the situation, the camp gay window dresser recounts the plot lines from his favourite glamorous escapist cinema and it kind of takes them to another place so it's not dissimilar to Narnia a kind of adult Narnia it's a very similar thing that's going on and um, this transforms their relationship but um, I remember feeling when I I think the germ of the idea for the Madonna of Bolton was in there you know I said earlier that's about a boy um, seeing his escape through Madonna and seeing her as a spirit guide. And actually what this character does, he takes popular culture, cinema in this case, and it's kind of framework for living his life. But it only takes him so far. And I think, I mean, it's difficult to say. You know, I'm telling you that The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe kind of was the spark that made me a writer. I'd said there's something in this that led to the Madonna of Bolton. So, um, yeah, I love this book. There's also um, a play and a musical and a film. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think um, the film, um, one of the actors won an Oscar. It's, um, I mean, it's not like a best, it's quite culty. Mm. It's quite cult um, and counterculture but um yeah i and it's you know it's latin american so um it's not necessarily going to be um a household name the writer in the uk but i love this one so that's my slightly off outside the obvious i love that i love that when something like that pops up because when i looked at this i was like oh i'd be really interested because it's quite i think in a prison cell it's like there's not much that, you know, the fact that they're just trapped together. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting idea that two very different characters so, are forced together. Funnily enough, I think that's why it works on stage because it's mm. in one. Um, but actually, um, each alternate alternate chapter in the book is one of these escapist films. Oh. So um, it's all about escapism and escapism through creativity. So there you've got a through line to The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and my response to it and The Madonna of Bolton. Interesting. Love it. Mm. So now your third book is also one that I hadn't heard of. (laughs) Where have I been? No, but you've heard of what it's about. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I was like, oh, it's an interest. I love it when there's like interesting choices come up. So tell us about your third choice, Matt. So, the book is a biography of Thomas Hardy by Claire Tomalin. It's called The Time Torn Man. And it's I've picked this one because, you know, the brief was books that shaped me. And, you know, as I said to you before, it took me a while to get to where I wanted to be because I didn't have a set path. I made documentaries for 
12 years in television and um, loved it. It was great. I worked for a long time for the South Bank show and I made a pro, which was an art series profiling artists of all disciplines. I spent several months making a documentary about Claire Tomlin, this biographer, while she was researching and writing her biography of Thomas Hardy. And he was a working class writer who was subjected to cultural snobbery from the establishment. And his books had been rejected at first. He had to really battle to break through. And at the time, I wasn't published. I was being rejected by everybody. I was being subjected to cultural snobbery. And when I made this documentary about Claire Tomlin writing this book, and she went into all these issues, and we went out and about in Dorset and um, Cornwall, where he met his wife, and all these locations from the books, and I read all the books. Um, my mum had been a big fan. Um, this really inspired me to keep going. And, you know, saying I had no pathway, this gave me something of a pathway, actually, by looking about looking at his journey and what he'd been through. So that's why I picked this book. That's so interesting, because I didn't know that he'd been rejected before. When, I, when, yeah. when you sent it through, I was like, God, that's really interesting, because you kind of always think, like, the classics were just, you know, there. And it's, it's inspiring, so that it's come through to you and I think you sharing your story I mean like when you look at your crowdfunding there must be so many people who are out there desperate to get their books out it's so inspiring that people share those stories because it you know it will help people but I thought this was a really interesting one because it just I had no idea yeah it absolutely is important I completely agree with you if if I hadn't had access to this story Thomas Hardy's story um, I probably wouldn't have, I know it seems very different, me crowdfunding a book about Madonna 150 years later, but if it hadn't been for Thomas Hardy, I possibly wouldn't have done. So it is important to find that inspiration. I think it's really important. I think, you know, when you hear authors talking all the time about finding, you know, their struggles, I think it's, you know, they everyone struggles. I don't think, well, there's probably a very few who just sort of, fall in and do very very well without the sort of hard work but it's you know you have to really love what you're doing to to go through the struggle I want to say thank you for for doing all that because you know your books continue to bring so much joy so I'm so glad that you you have done what you have oh thank you keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) I will as long as you'll have me I'll keep going always always (laughs) okay I'm very excited about book number four because I love this book too It's brilliant, isn't it? The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. If I had to pick one, it would probably be the number one. Um, And actually, there's less of a story about this. Other than after I made documentaries for telly, I spent three years as the arts and entertainment correspondent, the culture editor on Channel 4 News. And I covered all the arts, theatre, film, music as well as publishing. But I used to, I loved the Women's Prize for Fiction. It was called the Orange Prize in those days because it was sponsored by Orange, the old mobile phone company. And I used to do a live broadcast from the ceremony every year. And this was the first year I did it, I think. And um, I just absolutely loved this book. Still, there were very few books with gay characters about gay experiences and gay relationships. This came along by a straight woman 
um, she reworked Greek mythology from the Iliad to create the gay love story of Achilles and Patroclus. And I just love the fact that they're not twisted villains or tragedy figures. They don't provide light relief or camp fun. They're um, just in love with each other, like the lead characters in any straight romance. And it's just a beautiful account of romantic, lustful, intimate love, gay or straight. And when that was a hit and won the award, I just remember thinking, oh, maybe the tide's turning. So that did inspire me. And actually, it was a huge hit at the time and very acclaimed. But years later, it was rediscovered on TikTok and became an even bigger mainstream hit and I don't know I just I remember meeting her so at the time I was on telly all the time and quite relaxed about that and I met Madeline Miller who'd written the book and it was her first TV interview and she was really nervous and I was really nervous about meeting her because I thought she was so amazing and she'd written this huge hit gay book when I was struggling to get mine published and we kind of had that, that little bonding thing. And um, I just thought that book was so amazing and touched so many people. And it's also a reminder, you know, going back to the time of ancient Greece, it's a reminder that queer history isn't all about persecution and bigotry and oppression. There are the occasional um, moments of acceptance and tolerance, as there was in ancient Greece. And... Yeah, that's the song of Achilles, Madeline Miller. Possibly my number one on the list, even though it's the fourth one we've talked about. <laughs> it is. I mean, I hosted a read-along for it. and I was just checking, actually, as you were speaking, because I was like, I feel like only last year, June last year, I hosted a read-along on Instagram, and I think, I don't know, about 15 other readers um, who we'd all put it off because we're like, oh, it's, is it one of those books that's really hyped and, you know, is it going to be a bit of a letdown? We all loved it. And I think, yeah, as you say, it's, it, it, I would say it's just one of those great love stories. It's, she writes it so beautifully and her descriptions are just amazing, aren't they? We all absolutely loved it. It's so beautiful. And it's sexy. It is. And the other thing, the other thing about that book, when I was being told by publishers, oh, your gay central character and gay love stories, straight women are not going to be interested. Um, if you want to have a hit book, the majority of readers are women. You've got to appeal to straight women. They just won't get this. And then Song of Achilles came, came along and just blew that criticism out of the water because, um, you know, so many straight women have enjoyed it. Yeah. So many straight women have enjoyed it. And actually, it's a love story. And just because the characters are two men doesn't mean they're not going to be able to empathise or engage or relate it to their experiences of being in love as a woman with a man. I mean, what utter crap. Yeah, I, know, I think that's really... Well, I can see why they probably think it, but, you know, I just... If I want, if I want to read a love story, I want to read a healthy relationship and a love story that's beautiful and I don't really care who the characters are as long as I believe them and I feel for them and I agree with two, you yeah so I think that's really I agree with you and actually if they're from a different 
if they're of a different gender or a different background or from a different country or a different civilization, as it in the case with these two, actually, that's you don't just want to read about people like yourself. No. You know, reading about other people and getting inside their heads, people who are very different, is a really enriching, interesting experience. And it makes you a better person. It makes you a better member of society because you can empathise with people who may seem to be different mm. but actually have big similarities. You know, I feel quite passionately about that. And how patronising to straight women readers to say they're not going to be able to empathise with gay men. I mean, what a lot of crap. I think this book emboldened me actually and made me feel more determined to keep going mm. I wonder if that sort of thought came from this sort of you I mean I've spoken to a few authors about this of you know when people sort of think about rom-coms and romances and chick lit as sort of you know a bit looked down on you know obviously there are the sort of you know the quick romances that are sort of you know the more commercial ones which you know if that's what you love that's great um as well but no I think that's a really strange thing as I say I I don't care and I, I and actually I do want to learn what other people's experiences are I think that's one of the brilliant things about being a reader you can experience so many different lives and it's important it's really important that we well do I also think there's some misogyny in there it's interesting mm. to me that um People talk about the kind of fun pop music a woman might listen to for a bit of escapism or the kind of book you might want to read on a holiday. People talk about it as a trashy novel or a guilty pleasure. And um, men go and watch a football game mm. and it's elevated into this beautiful game. The stadiums are the cathedrals of the modern age. It's got a spiritual element. No, it's not. I've been to lots of football games. What a lot of crap. And actually, how dare they say that something a woman enjoys culturally should be a guilty pleasure. Like, you should be ashamed of it. Mm. You know, what a lot of rubbish. And actually, they've often kind of camp visually presenting gays. We've often been subjected to snobbery that isn't a million miles away from misogyny because we can be female associating. Um... You know, they see us as sometimes as light relief and a bit of fun. And everybody likes gays because they're good at parties and they tell funny stories and they're great dancers. And actually, that's not just our lane. We can also do um, work that makes you think mm -hmm. and um, takes you somewhere else and can be intellectually um, enriching. You know, we're not just the light bit of fun. No. So, yeah, I think there is a parallel there. Mm. It's interesting you said that. Do you know what just popped into my head when you were saying that? I always think back to it because I thought it was such a a powerful way to end your novel. So at the back of um, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle, there's a series of interviews that you printed with men sharing their experiences. And I just thought that was... I, I can't remember seeing it done before, but it's so... And it stayed with me. Um, as well but it's not that you know it's not light and uh you know it's not something to be laughed about these it's were not, real it? experiences I and I, I think those were yeah like was it men sort of in their 60s 50s 60s sharing their experiences and I just thought that was 
Not something I'd seen well, before. Well, some were older. One or two were older. So that, basically, when I was the editor of Attitude magazine, which is the big gay magazine, it was 2017. It was the 50th anniversary of the start of decriminalisation. And we did lots of interviews with older gay men about their experiences, whether it's familial rejection, imprisonment, professional dismissal, you know, electric shock therapy, Mm. eviction from, you know, all of it. And um, blackmail. And... um, I wanted, that inspired me to write Albert Entwistle, which, as you know, is about an older gay man who sets, gay man who sets off in search of the lost love of his life, who he's not seen for 50 years because they were torn apart cruelly in another, in another society when, you know, values were very different. And it was, I think I was telling my editor at the time about it, and she said, why don't you go back to the inspiration and when you were at Attitude and you interviewed a lot of these older men, why don't you interview some older men for the book? So, yeah, I did. And it can be hard-hitting, but that can be our lane. And we shouldn't just be about the light, fluffy thong, although I do mm. like doing that as well. So, um But it's important where... to show all sides, right? There's, you know, yeah. you can't just look at the light, light and fun and, and ignore. Yeah, yeah. Texture. Totally. Totally. Right then, should we move on to your final book, which is also one of my absolute favourites too? (laughs) Oh, I know, I love this book. I actually say, if somebody's read this book and they don't like it, I don't see how we could be friends. Um, One Day by David Nichols. Um, If anybody hasn't read it, it tells a 20-year love story through a series of set-piece scenes that all take place on the same day at yearly intervals. I absolutely loved it. It's um, it's a friend, are there friends or are there more than friends kind of story. And that, in a way, was the starting point for One Love. Um, and there is a hint in the title, actually, which isn't accidental. Um, and I did put one or two of my own little tributes in, like... Um, there's a scene in Thailand and something happens in Thailand which should take you back to what happened in one day in Thailand without wanting to give away too much. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's the thing about One Love, actually, is it's got something to say about queer relationships and not following a template and living freely and how we can all learn from that, actually straight people included, because we're all unique and individual and we, none of us should be restricted by a box or a template. So One Day is, doesn't really have an overriding message, but I just loved I just loved the characters and the love story and letting it breathe over time. It's, I think it's 20 years, yeah, 20 years. Um, and it starts at university or the end of university. Mine starts at the beginning of university. But that's such a special time and such a formative time for so many of us. I absolutely love this book. It's just so full of heart, isn't it? It's just beautiful. I love his books. I like it. It's just... It is full of heart. Tenderness, compassion. I love that. They're values Mm. that I very much try and channel. So, yeah, he was inspiring in that sense. It's the second time it's been picked. Um, So when I did these um, on Instagram, Kate Sawyer who wrote um, The Stranding and This Family, she picked it as well. And I was like, Uh, it is my dream that one day David Nichols would come and chat to me about his books because I would love 
to know. He's got a new book coming out next year, hasn't he, as well? Yeah, he does. And there's a new adaptation of One Day coming up, which is exciting. I'm so excited for that. I can't wait. Can't wait. Great choice. I love that we love the same books. We do. (laughs) I love your books and I love your book choices. It's all good. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, So the, the tough question then, Matt, if you could only read one of these books again, not that I would ever make you just have one of them, but which one would you pick if you could only have one of these books to read again? It would be The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or The Song of Achilles. Um, and I kind of feel like it should be The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe because it was the first. But actually, um, if it was one I could only ever read again, it would probably be The Song of Achilles just because I'd need the adult stimulation. Mm. Um yeah, I would go with the song of Achilles actually. And when I did finally get married last year, we had passages from it in the script for our ceremony. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, we did. We had Walt Whitman poems and James Baldwin quotes, and it was all um, oh. Caroline Duffy. It was all gay, lesbian, queer, queer, queer. Fabulous! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Oh, Matt, it has been absolutely wonderful to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining me. You too. It's been great for me. I'm so glad that we finally got to do it. And you got me at the end of a writing day, but you managed to perk me up. So <laughs> we'll see how much, because we were, if we've still got it in us, we've got a bonus episode. So do keep an eye out for that one as well. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. It was so wonderful to chat to Matt. Do make sure that you pick up his new novel, One Love. It is a brilliant read and I would highly recommend it. If you did enjoy this episode, keep an eye out as there is a bonus coming soon where I talk to Matt more about his life as a reader and a writer and he shares a bookish secret with us. If you did enjoy this episode, I would be so grateful if you could take the time to rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends all about it. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon.